Resiliency Within, with host Elaine miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine Miller-Karis. Welcome to Resiliency Within. I'm your host, Elaine Miller-Karis. Today, we will talk about the important impact social workers make internationally to help those who are suffering from war, human-made and natural disasters. I am so excited about my guest today, Dr. Beverly Buckles and Dr. Kimberly Freeman. They are not only colleagues, but very good friends of mine. And to have them on the show to share their wisdom is truly an honor. So the Loma Linda University International Behavior Health Trauma Team is operated by Loma Linda University School of Behavioral Health. And it has been providing international trauma preparatory training and psychological first aid disaster response for a long time, since 1995. So Dr. Beverly Buckles and Dr. Kimberly Freeman will share their international work with us. And Dr. Buckles is the founder and lead for the trauma team and first required the team's support services in the Ivory Coast. And to complete, and she actually introduced the community resiliency model um, there. Dr. Freeman has been a member of the team and she's a specialist in child development, has been one of the key members of the trauma team. So these lovely ladies are both social workers. And I think what makes them so special to me, not only personally, but professionally, is I've seen their enormous hearts, their empathy, and also they're, they're both kind of brilliant in terms of thinking about systems change and how do we how do we bring in something like the community resiliency model into our international world? So since 2010, and this is amazing that I didn't realize you'd been to that many countries, that they've used the community resiliency model into over 90 international services and trainings around the world, um, which has been part of their global response. And I think the other thing about these, um, what they've done with the trauma team is they've also tried to, um, to research, is this working? And they have, they hopefully will talk a little bit about what they've learned um, in, in the research of the community resiliency model and in other models of intervention that they've used around the world. But let me just say a few more words about each one is that is Beverly J. Buckles um, is the Dean of Social School of Behavioral Health at Loma Linda University. Um, she is the Vice President for Behavioral Health Education and Chair of the Department of Social Work and social ecology. She's also received many awards, which is not a surprise. She's a recipient of the 2010 Social Worker of the Year California chapter of the National Association of Social Workers. And in 2006, she received the Loma Linda University Centennial Vanguard Award for her founding leadership of the university's international behavioral health trauma team. And since 1995, the LLUH behavioral health team has responded to so many natural disasters. And Dr. Buckles has been, has been the leadership in these um, offerings. And so Dr. Kimberly Freeman is a licensed psychologist and social worker with over 20 years of post-licensed experience in working with high-risk infants and children. She's a professor 
and the Executive Associate Chair of the Social Work and Social Ecology Department at Loma Linda University. Dr. Freeman serves on the Loma Linda University International Behavioral Health Trauma Team, and her expertise includes how to intervene and promote optimal development in high-risk children from a global perspective. She served in over 25 countries herself and most recently in Sierra Leone, where she was part of a team providing the community resiliency model intervention to school-aged children with a history of historical and community trauma. Oh my goodness, you, you two, it's so hard just to get the words out to describe you. And I could have gone a lot longer about each one of you. So if anybody wants to learn more about these, the accomplishments of these two women, you can go to the Voice America um, face page and you can learn more about them. So let's start out. So I'm going to start with Dr. Beverly Buckles. Bev, why social work? Why did you decide to become a social worker and also lead social workers all over the world? Wow. Um had to think about that for a minute. I think I come from it by watching the people in my life. Um, I learned a number of years ago that my grandfather during the Great Depression was as a strong strapping man, made sure all of his neighbors had food. Even if he had to share from his own cellar, he made sure everybody was well fed. Growing up, my dad had an affinity for helping all the elderly. And so no one went cold in the wintertime. They always had heating fuel because he made sure they did and they didn't pay. And my mom was sort of the Red Cross of our area. There wasn't a Red Cross. So if anybody was ever hungry or their house burnt down, we were always there. She was always the one that would load up things. And it was, she had a motto that you always give your best. You don't give your second hand. You always give your best. I also think it was a good opportunity for her to buy new furniture sometimes. <laughs> Well, they must be very proud of you, but you've also been working very hard, and I'm just going to say this, for the food of the soul and of the heart, as you've brought many different interventions around the world, and in your role as um, being a leader of people who are involved in the behavioral health sciences. So, I just thank thank you for your leadership. So, I'm going to go to, to, to Dr. Kimberly Freeman right now and ask her the same question. So social work, why social work? Because you're also a psychologist. So, you know, here you're, you're going through both. So tell us about social work. What, what, brought, what brought you to social work, Kip? Yes. Um, well, it was, uh, I didn't know I wanted to be a social worker. Let me start with saying that. What I did know is I wanted to work in the field of mental health. I mean, from a very young child, that's all, always what I wanted to do. Um, so I pursued my doctorate in um, psychology and became a clinical uh, psychologist, but I kept finding myself working in the trenches, which is what social workers do. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> I mean, I kept finding myself in home visits and working with these high-risk infants and parents who were exposed to methamphetamines and um, working with community outreach and everything I was doing just screamed social work. So I went back and got my MSW after my PhD, which is kind of a, a different course than most people take, um, but I have never regretted it. I mean, I'm in the right field. I love what I'm doing. And when we started doing the, or when I started joining and doing the international work and seeing um, that in a lot of international settings following trauma, children often don't get the services that they need and that I could be part of that solution. I mean, I, it's just been my life's work and calling. So social work is, you know, where I found my niche. 
Yes. And I just want to say, too, about both of them, because we've done a lot of international travel together um, after disasters. And, you know, there's scrappy ladies. I mean, they can go into situations that are difficult. And certainly we have an advantage because we we go home. But when we go into disasters um, firsthand, we never know what we're going to be looking at. And I know there's been times when, you know, lives have been threatened and um, it's been it's been it's been risky. And yet you've had this purpose, um, overarching purpose, which I think kind of goes hand in hand with Loma Linda University of really bringing um, service to our world community. And so that brings me to my first question. So how did the trauma team come about? How did that all happen Um, (laughs) to go to as many countries as you've been to? um, You've got such wisdom um, Bev, so I'm going to start with you. And I, you know, I know Bev and Kim very well, so we know they're Dr. Buckles and Dr. Freeman, but I'm going to call them Bev during the show, if that's okay with both yeah. of you. Okay, great. All right, Bev. So it was, it was prior to 1995, and the war in uh, Croatia and Bosnia was going on. Um, and uh, Loma Linda University is associated with the Church. The world president of the church came to Loma Linda to tell us the horrors uh, that were occurring and that people needed help. The physicians, the teachers that were serving just needed help. So some colleagues and I sat on someone's patio and designed something and uh, tried to go to Bosnia and Croatia four times and uh, just couldn't get there. The war kept moving directly in front of us. So we had to not do it. And uh, it was after that that I spoke to one of our vice presidents here and said, you know what, that's it was such an eye-opening experience for me. It's like that's one place in the world where these overwhelming things are happening to people and they don't have help. And so can't we do something to low-resourced and these high-risk situations to reach out? It just so happened that that vice president had, um, in the 60s and 70s, put together a B-2 bomber uh, emptied plane and took a, a surgical heart team all over the world. And so she was like, Absolutely. Let's do it. Let's make this the new heart team. Wow. And so for you, um, Kimberly, so Kim, how did you become involved? Here you were a psychologist first and you became a social worker. How did you become involved with the trauma team? Well, a lot of that was through um, Bev's um, mentorship when I came into the Department of Social Work and I immediately wanted to be involved. She let me be involved. And um, it was just an amazing experience to be able to go to these countries and provide boots on the ground. I mean, now we can reach so many more people. We had, we're, we're much better at it than, than at the beginning, but it was so important to get that experience of being on the ground and being able to provide our little piece of trying to help individuals that were really struggling after these disasters. Yeah. And Elaine, I will say, you know, and this is, I don't know if I've ever shared this with Kim, but I'm going to now, <laughs> but, uh, Kim's brave. She's she's out there. She will go. And uh, what you said earlier was exactly what we knew at the time, too, is that there was so much more the need to have for kids. And uh, we needed somebody with expertise who could just see that and look at it through the lens of the suffering and the, the knowledge that she brought. Yeah. You know, I think I want to say something else about the two of you is since I have seen you in, in so many international settings, that you also bring with you um, what I think is a key value of social work, which is cultural humility, that you don't go into a country with the assumption that you know more about 
how to help them than their own people. And so I've actually seen that firsthand, which you know is very much my own ethos. And I've really appreciated that because I think we've been in enough disaster settings that we see people coming in and sometimes there isn't that respect of the uh, the strength of cultures to create their own um, solutions to the problems they're facing, including when there's times of great distress. And I think what we've all seen too is that when there's times of great distress, like what's going on in Ukraine right now, and we'll talk a little bit about that, um, is that um, many people are trying to help. And so how to figure out the right way of helping. And one of the reasons why I love, and many people know that I am a social worker too, is that boots on the ground, is that we pay attention to those themes. And I've certainly seen you both do that over time. So that kind of brings me to my next question, which is how has the trauma team evolved over time since 1995 to we are now in unbelievably 2022? So it's been many years that you've been leading this team. So, I, so Bev, can you start and tell us a little bit about how it's evolved? Well, we started um, very slowly. And I think there was always a little suspicion when you consider back in the 90s, not everybody really understood what it was going to be like to provide a disaster response. Um, and there was some suspicion that we were in university going out to do research and then taking data and running off and, and really not respecting the people. But we, as you said, we really are social workers. And our first and foremost was to assist people and to empower them to, to assist themselves. And that built trust and then models of how to engage started to come forth to the point where then um, people were asking us, well, what about other kinds of things could we do? And that did start to have help us evolve, including when you mentioned research. We were not trusted to do research in the beginning. Absolutely not. But then later on, they said, could you study the effectiveness? Because we can see it. But could you study it to show that it's really happening? And so that started to evolve, too. Um, um, yeah, I um, wanted to add something to that as well. Um, I think that one of the big turning points for the trauma team, for me and my experience, was when we could actually add a sustainability component to it. You know, um, it's it's a very different thing from to go there during a disaster and provide as much help as you can in that moment. It's a whole other thing to actually leave something sustainable in that community or build something in that community alongside and in conjunction with a community that they can use long after you've gone. And we saw this happen, um, and, and Bev can talk more about this, but we saw this happen in the Caribbean in particular, where uh, we trained a crisis team uh, to work there. And because they have numerous crises with all the weather components that, that are there in the Caribbean. And so they're their own trauma team there in the Caribbean, and they can respond within their culture, with their people, and provide the services that are needed for their community. And that's something that is sustainable and left there. And they've actually helped us in other countries too. They have flown in to help us um, when other countries are having crisis. So we build this kind of world community that can be helpful to each other. Well, and I think that's such an important part about what you all have done. And I think that we have collaborated within the Trauma Resource Institute because we had that big project in the Philippines. And then when Nepal happened, we collaborated to bring people from that part of Asia to help one another. So I don't know, um, Beverly, you want to talk a little bit about that? 
Well, let me go back a little bit. The okay. biggest turning point, I think, for the trauma team was really what we saw happen in the Ivory Coast. You know, they had had um, a war, a civil uprising, and uh, a lot of mass uh, destruction, killings on the Liberia border. And we were asked to go in and serve the five hardest hit villages, which meant loss of life, loss of property, the five hardest hit. And we later found out they were also warring villages and that they had issues between each other that would break out from time to time. This was the first time that we implemented CRIM. Prior to that, and Kim and I have talked about this quite a bit, prior to that, we would go places, we would use psychological first aid. In some cases, we used to use critical instance stress debriefing to support the first responders. Um, but it just felt like we were leaving with wondering if they could sustain and hold on to something. But even in our first use of CRIM, I can remember being in one of the villages and working with my little team that were translating and, and moving the CRIM skills into the village and recognized that I hadn't taught them some things that they had actually applied it and were now using their own personal examples to share with the villagers about how effective it had been for them in relieving stress and body aches and things from the last few days. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is, this is something very, very different. And then when our translator went back, because we couldn't go back because there was another uprising, and then JJ came back, our translator came back with the information, the responses, the healing that was taking place was astounding. And we knew then we were onto something very different that we could keep going back and working with you and working in communities to help them build resiliency. That was transformative. I remember you telling me the story about, and I, I wonder if you could illuminate that if you remember the story. I certainly remember it when, because something happens when we use, CRIM is also our acronym for the Community Resiliency Model, just to um, make sure our listeners know that's what we're talking about. But it's when we help people to sense that well-being inside of themselves, that it does something to the way that we think not only about ourselves, but others. But I remember you telling me about a villager that could look at someone in a different way. Do you remember that story, Bev, about the villager who could see the a person who was, was responsible for some of the killing that happened in their village? Oh, one yes. of the things, uh, it was more even more generalized that one of the, the statements that came back um, in the material that the um, translator brought back to us, uh, the follow-up information, was that they had forgiven the people who had murdered their families and destroyed their villages. Yeah. And so, you know, how do we, how do we um, spark the whole idea of forgiveness when the unthinkable is happening in our midst and we're seeing that kind of suffering? I always ask that question, which kind of segues really nicely into the next question I have for, the, for both of you. Um, and even with what you started out with about how the trauma team was first conceptualized, when it was the horror that was happening in Serbia and Croatia, and that you were trying to figure out how to go. And here we are with the horror of the Ukraine war. We're now in our fourth week. And I know that the, your trauma team has responded, but you didn't have to go in person. So can you tell and illuminate exactly what you have been doing over the last um, couple weeks? Well, we have uh, associations in Ukraine, friends, uh, colleagues who run clinics and they have a network of professionals that they reach out to and they brought them together with the Global Health Institute of Loma Linda 
and asked us to support that. Um, I don't even know where to go with this, uh, Elaine, because it's hard. And uh, most of the time when we've been places, the situation was over or we knew it was a place that had multiple uh, natural disasters. So we were preparing to keep people safe for the future to, and maybe a combination of getting over the past and going forward. This is very difficult. It's, um, but we're using the crim skills for ourselves and supporting each other and being available to help individuals because we had trained people in the Ukraine previously also in the crib skills and some of those individuals are coming back to this and disseminating it um but i would say it's it's probably one of the more difficult things that i personally feel that i've ever done because it does take constant sensitivity to um and just acknowledgement that I really don't know what's really going on and to be sensitive to the suffering. Yeah. And so um, maybe Kim can maybe illuminate a little bit too, but you haven't gone in person. So no. how have you been offering, Kim? Can you, if you can illuminate, how have you been offering um, teaching people about the community resiliency model and supporting the, the, the people on the ground in Ukraine? Yeah. You know, this is, this is kind of the next step, you know, uh, from, being able to um, be there in person, you can reach a whole lot more people using um, technology. And so we have found it to be very effective in providing this information on a Zoom format, you know, just talking about the skills, keeping the sessions going, offering, you know, just opportunities for them to come on and log on and ask questions about applying the, the CRIM skills. And I know I have been working not only with the Loma Linda group, but I've also been working with the TRI group. And the experience has just been um, amazing. I mean, that's the only word I can use for it in, in terms of being able to reach so many people, for people to have a resource or an outlet to ask questions in real time is, um, I'm hoping, has been really helpful for the people in the Ukraine. I know they have said it has been helpful to have that venue and um, to have something um, like a, a seed of hope. You know, I think it does provide hope in even the most dire times because it is tough. War is ongoing. And um, people have had to step aside and, and, um, and, and log off because of things that are happening there in the Ukraine, but they come back, you know, and, and they crave this information, just a li little beads of hopes of hope to, you know, make them feel better in that moment or to help somebody else to pass it forward to people around them in their community. So I, I think it's been an amazing experience. So I, I know that part of my experience um, as being one of the leaders of the Trauma Resource Institute is also leading these um, online Zoom um, that gets, <laughs> you know, live streamed on Facebook. And we've been really surprised at the numbers of people that have been been listening. And, you know, when we would go into a disaster, the three of us as a team, I mean, if we got how many people in a room that we could teach, that they could teach others, maybe a hundred, but then we didn't know who they could go off and teach later. But we're talking about the potential of, of really impacting thousands of people on these Zoom platforms. Mm -hmm. So in my vista of how we support work internationally, this to me is a huge paradigm shift that we don't have to go in person. Mm -hmm. If we have some additional skills to offer boots on the ground that could possibly be an additional 
assistance for them as they're in the midst of this horrific war, because so many people are impacted. There's never enough mental health providers nor um, medical providers to deal with the amount of people that need help. So I'm just wondering um, if, you know, if one or both of you would like to say something about this kind of paradigm shift of offering it in, le- in real time when there's war going on right now. Well, most of the people who've attended our, uh, we've only had two weeks of it, but have been professionals, not all, but most are in some area of the health field, physicians, psychologists, other therapists. Um, they're experiencing it as well as taking care of people. And I think that's been one of the um, value-added components that I've seen from their evaluations. They're supporting themselves as they help other individuals and reinforcing what they probably already knew in some ways, because some of them had been previously trained. But um, I don't know what else to say about it other than helping to normalize and the content of the community resiliency model really is helping to normalize those extreme reactions that they're having so that individuals can start to sense that there is um, some wellness there still. They have the skills they can shift. Um, being respectful in how it's that, knowing that people are having to immediately stay safe, even in the midst of trying to help other people um, to, to normalize or, and to regulate. I also think this is a paradigm shift that is here to stay, and it could have huge impacts. I know, Elaine, you always talk about this one slide that always sticks out in my head of a certain percentage of the population that you have to tip in order for there to be change, like for resilience or to know something. And I think this is a way that can accomplish that. If more people can know about their own nervous system and know how to self-regulate and know how to stay in their resilience zone, it could actually make the decisions that are made in these very intense moments more resiliency focused or, or more problem uh, solution or more solution focus. So I, I really believe that to my core. So I think this is a really important paradigm shift um, for the world and the community. Yeah, I'm hoping that, you know, that the, our work together, that we can get this word out that, yeah. you know, and, and certainly the community resiliency model is one set of skills. There's other skills that people could be delivering on these Zoom platforms that can also help to help people stabilize their nervous systems and to think about this technology that I always think it's kind of the weird silver lining in the horror of COVID. Cause I certainly didn't even know how to bring things forward before COVID-19 in zoom platforms. And I think we've all learned a tremendous amount that's helping us with providing additional support to the people of Ukraine right now. And I just also want to say just as social workers, um, we're going to take a break in just a minute um, is that there are many war situations happening in other parts of the world. Ukraine is getting a lot of attention, but we have worked in places, you know, did you all know that there had been a war in the Ivory Coast? I think a lot of people didn't know because it didn't get the same similar kind of attention. So we also want to say as social workers that we know that people are suffering in many parts of the world. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that when we come back. Um, And so, again, I am so grateful that you both are here. So for our listeners, we will come back and talk a little bit more about how we can help children and also what other countries these two um, lovely ladies have been to and some of their perspectives on how to help people with healing um, after these horrible things happen to our, our world community. 
So we will be back in just a few, uh, a couple minutes, and we will continue our conversation with Dr. Beverly Buckles and Dr. Kimberly Freeman from Loma Linda University. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine miller Karras book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at elaine at resiliencywithin.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Elaine miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life. Your health. Your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. Um, we are here with Dr. Beverly Buckles and Dr. Kimberly Freeman from Loma Linda University, and they are from the trauma team, and they have been sharing their experiences of how they help people throughout the world. We had a, a brief a moment um, in the first segment where we were talking about forgiveness and compassion, and we started talking about it during the break. So, so Kim, you want to start out, and I'm going to have Bev continue with the other story about forgiveness and compassion that you witnessed in Sierra Leone, Sierra Leone to begin with. Yeah. Um, again, like you said earlier, you were asking about, you know, how that comes about. And what I was saying is when we were in Sierra Leone, we got 
so much feedback in our follow-up about how they had forgiven the villages that had, you know, were aggressive towards them and they had found compassion for others. And we were really surprised by these findings because we never address that issue as part of our training. Our training was about being in the resilient zone and skills to help them to get back in the resilient zone. And since that time, you know, I've seen this happen in other settings as well as when people are in their resilient zone, just they think about things in different ways. And I can see now that that was the result of that, but I didn't expect that at that time, because we had never trained or talked about that during our training, nor would it have been appropriate to. So you didn't talk about, oh, you have to have compassion or forgiveness for the villagers that, that no. may have destroyed your village and people that you love, but that came up spontaneously it came in up the discussion. Sp- yeah. yeah. When they were able to to touch that sense of well-being inside of them. And, and, and Bev, I'd love for you, for you to tell the story about the man with the rock. I mean, that is a powerful story. It was actually the Ivory Coast that we were talking about. It was the Ivory Coast, that, that, that yes. Sierra Leone was uh, to address uh, the aftermath or the concurrent situation when we were there with Ebola. But um, when we were in the Ivory Coast, just as we got there, the UN had said to also tell these five villages to stop warring with each other. Um, never thought in the world I'd ever be told to do that. But we did finally have that conversation. The last day that we were there, Kim did a peace garden uh, exercise. And like she said, we did not talk about forgiveness, um, but they did understand the, and I, and there was a lot of pain in that group, but they were, you could see that they were working through those things. They were looking at the resiliency. They had worked in their villages to use the skills to support each other. And what happened was one of the men um, he said we didn't have a lot of resources, so we painted on rocks and they put things that they wanted us to, to share with us on each side of the rock and with each other. So this one man on one side of the rock, he painted the sword of war and on the or spear of war and on the other side, the shield of peace. And so when he presented to the group, he said, I'm, I'm showing you the spear of war. I am laying it down. Mm-hmm. And I am offering up to all of you, these five villages, the shield of peace. And they accepted it. And we have pictures that they sent us later of the, all these people who did not previously get along with each other, who now had this common bond of healing, that they all were in this peace garden together. Well, I think there's moments of reconciliation that we've witnessed when people can sense their well-being is life-altering. Um, so I'd like love to kind of kind of swerve over to the conversation about children um, and some of the work that you both have done with children. And, and I know this is very much in your heart, Kim, if you want to start with that. Yeah. So um, one, one of the things that I love about the CRIM model um, is that it's really adaptable to working with children. You know, we've always used things like grounding and drawing with, with kids, but to use it in a way that allows them to track their bodies and to regulate their bodies has just been transformative for so much of the work that we do. Can you say a little bit more about what does it mean for a child to track their body? Cause some people may not know what that means. Yeah. So, you know, um, so CRIM is like a body-based intervention. And so for kids, when it's different, if you just ask them to resource or draw a picture of something and talk about it, 
you know, that may bring them joy in the moment. But if you ask them to notice what they sense inside their body as they are drawing that or after they draw that and are talking about their picture, it makes a connection of well-being in their body and allows them to grow or build their resilience. It teaches them to sense into sensations of wellness um, that they may not have learned before. And it helps, like I said, build that resiliency. And so can you, um, I also know that you've told me other stories that have come out of Sierra Leone when people have learned about um, balancing their nervous system. And Mm -hmm. I recall that this was, um, I think it was, might've even been a minister, but talked about in some countries that we've gone to, they have different um, ways that they may um, behave that are, that are more sanctioned. For example, for some cultures that we've been into that it's, it's, perfectly acceptable to hit their wives, for example. Mm-hmm. And I remember you telling, I remember Susanna telling us a story about a gentleman who completely changed his perspective about how he had learned. Uh, he thought that he was helping his family by hitting his wife. Actually, that was me. Was uh, that your story, Bev? Can you tell a little bit more about that? Because I think there's a, there's a very important, you know, I hope that you're all seeing this theme, that what we're doing is we're teaching skills of well-being. We're not asking people to change their their culture or their their ideas and feelings, but things seem to cascade out of human beings when they touch into their sense of their well-being. So go ahead, Beth. There was a gentleman with our uh, group, and these people have been selected by um, the the leadership of the community to participate in the crib training. Uh, and this was, we started during Ebola and then transitioned to the aftermath of Ebola. Anyway, uh, we were also trying to help them as part of the sustainability work of the team build their resources. So we had been in, we got invited uh, with their help to be at a conference where the Minister of Health and, and the leadership of the um, health system of the country was there. And so I had asked the people who had been part of our CRIM team or training in there in Sierra Leone to come with us and share stories. One of the men had said he was a teacher and he had realized after going through the crim training that he, his students were afraid of him. And that when he used crim, it changed how the students started interacting with him. So I said, Daniel, you've got to come with us to this conference and tell everybody this. So in the presentation, he did not tell that story. Instead, And I knew Daniel had been a child soldier. So he had learned to force people to do what he wanted them to do as a result of that tragedy of being a child soldier. So instead, what he told, he said, I recognize that my family, my wife and children have been afraid of me because of the way I have interacted and the way I have forced them to engage with me. They wouldn't come near me. They wouldn't hug me. Um, But then I started using, and he had been beating them. That's really the point, Uh, which has been a problem in Sierra Leone with all the child soldier history. Uh, And he told told the audience, but I started using these skills, putting myself in a better place. And then I was reacting and interacting with my family in a different way when things would come up. He said, the shift has been, my children are not afraid of me anymore. My wife is showing me affection. And you could have heard a pen drop. Nothing else probably could have resonated stronger. There were law enforcement and other people trying to deal with this as a community-based problem of domestic, vi- domestic violence in families. And they saw now here is a road 
to something different without taking men from their families and to support them to gain strength. I th- and I think your words are really important, not only for Sarah, Sarah Lynn, but for all of us all over the world. We have a horrible problem with domestic violence in the United States, but we have seen, you know, the, um, the effects of violence on women and children all over the world. So to think that we could do something in the here and now, in the present moment, that could help to cultivate someone's well-being, that this, again, perspective shift happens. And this is, I guess, what we're, you know, we didn't know we were going to talk about this, but there's something about this perspective shift. And so I'm wondering, um, for both of you, that I know that you are researchers um, and that you've in fact, I'm very happy to report that the two of you, along with Suzanne Montgomery, also on faculty at Loma Linda, and Dr. Lindy Grabby on at Emory University, are writing a chapter in my book right now in the second edition about the research. And I'm just wondering, can you illuminate a little bit more? I mean, research is important for our listeners to know what's happening, how, what's, what's going on that, that these kinds of results are happening. Well, I want to just highlight one of the results that has come out of um, Sierra Leone, the the work that we had done there with children. Um, You know, this hasn't been published yet. We are still in the process of writing it up. But one of the things, it's just on the same conversation that we're having, we have... um, Corporal punishment being used in the in the school system that we that we assessed. It was it's a accepted form of punishment for kids um, in the school setting. And again, we came in with the crim skills, teaching the teachers and the parents and the children. And we at no time said you should not be using corporal punishment. But yet, at the end of um, at the end of the crim intervention and assessing the outcomes. At um, the end of the training and then three months out, we see a decrease, a significant decrease in corporal punishment. They come to this conclusion on their own, you know, using their own processes and being in their own resilient zone and having alternative ways to think about things when they're, when they're actually not bumped on high or bumped on low, uh, like out of their resilient zone, but in this place where they can really think through how they want to handle and manage problems. So that was a pretty amazing finding considering we never talked about the need to not use corporal punishment. (laughs) Again, paying homage to the culture, you know, not trying to tell people what to do, but providing skills and other ways to think about things on their own. Well, I, I didn't know about that finding, Kim. It's always so exciting when I hear the research that's coming out of your projects. Is there anything that you want to highlight, um, Bev, about the research that's been done? I just want to say something about, actually, and my great appreciation to um, to Bev as the leadership there. She knew when I first met her back in 2010 that the community resiliency model and what we were doing was different. And if it wasn't for her, like coming to me and going, you know, Elaine, this is different. So the Trauma Resource Institute, we had our very first partnership with Loma Linda because of Bev's leadership. And they're the only ones besides the um, Trauma Resource Institute through the ADRA trauma team that can teach people in other countries to be crim teachers. And um, that really happened um, I think we had a shared vision, Bev, that we could collaborate upon that has also led to so much research that you have promoted through Loma Linda. So I'm going to say that to introduce my question to you about, is there something about the research that you want to especially share with our listeners? Well, I don't have the exact examples that Kim has, uh, 
I just know that the team, it's a full team now that works with the research, the amount of time and sensitivity to the cultural needs um, and the, you know, just the, the exact clarity of questions, not trying to do things that are overwhelming has been really important. Um, I know that where we started, even the instruments felt like they could be triggering and they've just worked and worked and worked to get to the point, the essence of what they needed to do. I'm really proud of the team. I mean, I can't take credit for all they've done. I am just thrilled that they have such wonderful people working on it. And uh, we have just a whole group of students now. It just keeps expanding. Uh, and we're really encouraged about what more we can also do here at Loma Linda. I mean, we're a trauma one healthcare system. And we have a lot of very, very sick people here. We have a lot of physicians who work incredibly hard in nurses and being able to give them these skills and have them study how it's affecting, how they improve patient care is another great big piece of where I see the research going. And I'm just excited about it. Well, I have another question for you that's connected to your trauma team and to what you're talking about regarding health professionals. Um, it really is, uh, we've seen where health professionals, they are on the front lines of Ukraine right now and in many parts of the world where there is war. And so um, how do you see these kinds of skills helping health care providers? Is that different from the kind of the ordinary person in a community that's been impacted, like you were talking about the Ivory Coast? So could you say a little bit more about that? Because I think we're really, we really need to pay attention to all that our healthcare providers have been through, not only with war, but also with COVID-19. Well, and even before COVID-19, and we have had physicians come to us who've been um, working to serve very, very fragile, uh, medically fragile populations, and coming with just being overwhelmed in tears uh, because of the the sense of uh, an ongoing developing moral injury of what they're having to work with day in and day out with not as much hope as they would want to be able to give to their patients and wanting to be fully available and present to their patients and the families uh, in the most sensitive ways. So working with type one uh, brittle diabetics, working with sickle cell patients, and then COVID on top of that, um, what I've seen the physicians do, and this is where I think it, it can help with folks in Ukraine too. These are individuals who carry such heavy burdens. And for them to be able to find their own resiliency, to support themselves so that they can continue to do what they have clearly dedicated their lives to do, to save lives, is extremely important. And we've seen people here at Loma Linda, physicians who've just done amazing things with it to support people prior to surgery, after surgery, uh, support families. Um, I'm smiling because of just how, what I've observed, how much they're learning about how they can continue to live their passion because they've found resiliency instead of a moral injury. And so you're actually teaching doctors and nurses at Loma Linda the yes. community resiliency model skills. And are you seeing the same things with the doctors and nurses as you're seeing when you go to Ivory Coast and Sierra Leone? Well, I, I wanted to say just a little bit about that. You know, when we um, were in Haiti, we specifically went out to work. This is before we knew 
about the community resiliency model. We had specifically gone out to work with the physicians in the hospital because they saw so many horrendous things um, after the earthquake there. And um, when we got there, we couldn't get them to stop. You know, they, they were so embedded into, there was so much of a need, you know, it's like getting them to attend to their own, Self wasn't going to happen in that setting because they were so into the the treatment part of it. So I I honestly think with physicians, especially that work in emergency settings or disaster settings, teaching these skills earlier for them is really critical. I mean, not that you, and after, and even after, um, because I think they need to build up that resiliency to face some of these situations that that they're in. So if they have a chance as a as a prevention model to help build up that resiliency going into it, it would it would serve them well. And of course, always after too can can help them um, you know get back in their zone. Um, can and and that can be really helpful as well. But during was really hard. Just if I'm being really honest, in Haiti, it was really hard to get them to stop. Well, and I think that would be the same way in Ukraine. And I mean, you can't take 15 minutes or an hour to do something. You need something very, a short period of time that's going to help restore your well-being. And I think we can offer that with the community resiliency model because it doesn't have to be a one-hour session, for example. But I'm also wondering if you could share with us, um, so have you had projects at Loma Linda where you're teaching medical students? Or some of your residents, this so you're they're getting it at the front end rather than after the traumas have already happened to them. Could mm-hmm. you enlighten enlighten us to some of the things that you might be doing there? So Kim, maybe you can help me remember all the things. <laughs> all right, I'm, I'm going to jog your memories, ladies. Okay. Well, well that, that's what we've been trying to do is within our own organization is front load nurses and physicians with these skills so that they have them and can also introduce them to their patients in a even in a conversational way when they're working with patients in the hospital because they're often dysregulated and traumatized by whatever they're going through with their medical needs. So we have a, a you know, an ongoing study that we're doing with that. Um, we don't have any long-term results of that, but we believe it can change the culture, you know, and, and foster and build resiliency in our medical professionals. Yeah. And we have had, um, as the research will go on, but in the midst of this, the feedback has been pretty profound. Um, and I think of one physician who does a lot of transplants and adherence after a transplant is pretty critical uh, to not have organ rejection. And this one physician reported that <clears throat> she was so frustrated with her patients because of their lack of adherence. And she would get really upset with them and tell them how upset she was with them. She didn't realize that they were triggered already uh, through the trauma of what they'd been going through and that her reactions to their resistance was actually making it worse. So by using the skills to calm herself and to be mm-hmm. more present, she was able to not have them get as triggered, which then in fact could increase their adherence because they were hearing her instead of being completely frozen when she would speak to them. Well, you know, when I asked you both to come on the show, I wanted you to talk about, you know, international social work, which we have, but I'm hoping our listeners can see that our work 
um, as social workers can also go into the hospital and in so many other settings. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if each of you can just a short statement as we're almost getting ready to close our time together. Is there some parting thought that you would like to leave both of uh, our listeners today? So Kimberly, I'm going to have you go first. I'm going to have have Bev go last. Mm. Well, um, I will say that social work is an amazing career. If you're looking for something to do in the area of mental health, where you are really reaching out to the communities and really making a difference in the lives of people, both locally and even worldwide. I mean, I never once for a second imagine that I will would have done all the things that I have done and all the things that I'm doing right now. I find it very personally rewarding and hope that it has made a small difference in the lives of people that, you know, we have worked with over the years. I've been incredibly blessed to be at Loma Linda. We have an amazing um, clinical social work program. If you're interested, you can email me. Uh, if you have any questions about our trauma team, anything, you can email me at kfreeman at llu.edu. I would love to talk to you more about <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. So you have a shorter period of time, Bev. So one parting, parting thought. Uh, well, it's not so much even just social work. I, you know, I think social workers have a wonderful soul and values oriented. But Lane, it's really to you. Thank oh. you for introducing us. You know, I've told you about some of the dangerous things that have happened. Yes. Uh, pretty scary. And my perspective was that I was terrified. But using the crim has put that aside. And I'm brave. And I'm not worried about the other things that I will experience in my lifetime, internationally or otherwise. And I just appreciate that so much. And yes, individuals can reach out to me at bbuckles at lou.edu or at behavioral health. Dot All right. And I just want to say, I've, I've also been an adjunct faculty at Loma Linda University and have the joy of teaching international social work to their students. And I always appreciated that, that opportunity that you gave me. And I want to thank you both again. And I hope that our listeners, this is National Social Work Month, and I wanted to have these two amazing women to talk about the work that they do in the world. And they're not done. So um, they're continuing to spread this, uh, these sparks of uh, well-being around the world. So I just hope that you can see, you know, social workers, is, it's about the joy that exists in all of us. And I think you tap into that, but it's also about the suffering and you don't ignore that. And I want to say to both of them and for all the social workers and people who love social workers, that's a pretty courageous bunch. They often will go where others will not. And I'm certainly honored to be part of the social work, uh, I guess, fabric of our world. Uh, and we know many, many social workers in other parts of the world that also enlighten us and inspire us. So until we meet again, I'm hoping you all can remember what else is true. If there's someone that you love is suffering, remember that you can reach out to them and help them maybe touch into some of the things that are resources for them, things that uplift them, that bring them back into that zone of well-being. Because as you can hear from our listeners, there's something that could be so amazing that can happen when we find that inner strength to go on in the world. So thanks again, Dr. Beverly Buckles and Dr. Kimberly Freeman from Loma Linda University. Oh, thank you. Hi, Elaine. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within, with host Elaine miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com.